The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. going to be looking uh, at Colossians chapter 2. Uh, it may not at first appearance seem like a, a real Christmas passage, and it's mostly not. But there actually is one of the most concise statements of the incarnation of Jesus becoming, uh, coming to earth, being born of a, a human uh, here in, in Colossians chapter 2. So we'll see if you pick up on that. If not, I'll highlight it as we go. But let's begin by reading uh, from Colossians chapter 2. Uh, Verses 8 through 15. Colossians 2, verses 8 through 15. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, by triumphing over them in him. Uh, great passage, um, and uh, we'll kind of unpack it, but uh, it's important to know a little bit about what's going on in Colossians. And this is the first time we really start to hit um, the problem. And oftentimes Paul writes to churches, not just to wish them Merry Christmas, <laughs> uh, but to uh, address issues or problems. And um, so chapter 1 doesn't really indicate what's going on, but we start to get a picture of it here in in chapter 2 when he warns them in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions. So apparently there were some people in the church at Colossians trying to uh, capture them through false teaching or false ideas. And and we don't know exactly what was going on there, uh, but we, we can pick up bits and pieces of it from what is written in the book of Colossians. And it appears that um, the message that was being communicated that, that these Colossian believers were hearing is that something is wrong with you. <laughs> like, right? Have you ever heard, heard that? Have you ever told you that? There's something wrong with you. There is something wrong with you. Did you know that? Uh, and and the, the believers in Colossians were being told that something was missing and that they didn't measure up, that they were not good enough. And that without a major upgrade, they could not truly be spiritual or maybe not even be saved, right? And so these false teachers were, were, were communicating this message. And Paul says it's a deceptive teaching 
Um, and at the, at the core of it, most likely, it, we don't know this 100%, but it would appear that it had to do with the fact that they were Gentiles. And the church in Colossae was uh, probably almost completely, if not all, Gentile believers. Right? And the, the messengers, the people communicating this bad message to them, were, were, were very likely Jews. And we know that from some of the stuff that happens later in the book. We'll see. Uh, and, and, and what was being told to these believers is, look, you're just Gentiles. You are not chosen by God. The Jews, we are the ones chosen. We are God's chosen and special people. And so what's wrong with you is your identity as Gentiles. You, and and, and uh, what was being told to them is that the only hope for you, uh, because you are outside of the covenant, you know, haven't you read the Old Testament, right? You are outside of the covenant. You are not God's people. You can't be God's people as Gentiles. The only hope for you is to become Jews. Uh, and so that was probably what was going on. And uh, Paul uh, wants to encourage them that this teaching is an empty deception, he says. It's a lie. Okay, it's not true. Uh, and not only that, but that this deception would, would, uh, was dangerous because it would capture them. Right? It, says, it says, don't be captured, don't be taken captive by this philosophy. And the idea here is to be taken as a prisoner of war. Right? So Paul says, this is dangerous. These people want to drag you off as a prisoner of war into this false teaching, these false ideas that will destroy your faith in Christ. Now, of course, the logic may seem silly to us. Probably none of us are, uh, would buy this argument, right? If somebody said to you, well, you can't really get saved if you don't become a Jew first. Like 2,000 years after Jesus died, we've kind of left that behind, right? And so it may seem like this is kind of irrelevant to us because this is probably not a major temptation for most of us. I don't know, too many of you are probably wrestling, should I become a Jew, right? Um, should I follow Judaism? Although I have seen it, actually. In fact, I have a friend who was a pastor who, who went down this path and said, well, it's not enough to just be a Christian. I need to become Jewish. And he went into kind of this whole thing of Judaism. So it is still there. But for most of us, I'm hoping this is not a temptation. Um, and it may seem kind of silly to us. Uh, but the truth is, while this may not be the, the, the message we are hearing, we are all surrounded by plenty of messages trying to convince us that something is missing in your life, right? That you're missing something, that there is something wrong with you, that, that you don't measure up, uh, and, and so you're going to fall short, right? You can't really come to a place of real happiness and real completeness, real fulfillment in life, because there is something missing from your life. I have a picture. I, maybe we skipped the picture. We need to go back to the picture. I think, oh, there's the picture, okay? Modern advertising, uh, really, this is what modern advertising is all about. Modern advertising is all about telling you that something is missing, right? You don't have this girl's smile, right? See, you can't possibly be happy because you don't have a smile like her, right? There's something wrong with you, right? Your teeth are not that pretty white. And who would be your friend with brown teeth? Right? Who would like you if you had brown teeth? Right? And not only that, but your breath smells like dead fish. Right? And so who's going to be your friend if, you're, if you have breath like dead fish? Right? You're just a loser. Something is missing from your life. And what's missing from your life is the right toothpaste. Like if you just get the right toothpaste, 
you look like her. Amazing. Well, if you're a girl, right? If you're a guy, there's no hope for you. You need more than toothpaste, apparently, right? Uh, and that, that's the message of advertising, right? If you have the right smile, if you have clean breath, people will like you. Your life will be complete and you'll be fulfilled, right? Now, of course, that's kind of a silly and uh, exaggerated illustration, but every day we're bombarded with these kind of messages that if, if you only had this, if you could only be this, then you would really be fulfilled. You'd be complete. You'd be whole. But right now, you loser, <laughs> you're, you're not whole. You're missing something. There's something wrong with you. You don't measure up. You're not fulfilled, right? And the problem is that we can so easily believe these messages because we, we are painfully aware of our shortcomings, right? There are people in the world who will tell you, why are your teeth so brown, right? Or who will tell you, man, you have bad breath. Stay away, right? Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your husband. I don't know. So there's people who will be very honest with you, right? And not just with those kind of things, but we, we're all too aware of our failures, right? And our mistakes and our mess-ups. We, we are all too aware of our shortcomings and our weaknesses. And so it's not hard to convince us that something is missing because the truth is oftentimes we feel quite inadequate, right? We feel like we don't measure up. We feel like there's something missing. And so when somebody comes along promising that they can give us what's missing... They can supply that if we'll follow them, if we'll follow their teaching, if we'll buy their products, uh, that, that we, 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 uh, it'll fill in that empty spot, right? And we're tempted to follow them. Uh, but like the Colossians, uh, it is an empty promise. It is a, it is a deception, right? Um, and actually, Paul talks about this in, in Ephesians 2, where he says, actually, what we're really following when we follow that message, when we buy into that, and we, we think that those things are going to complete and fulfill us. He says we are really following the course of this world. Uh, he says in Ephesians 2, we're following the prince of the power of the air. That is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Right? So it's, a, it's an evil, uh, satanic influence that's driving all of this. Of course, you know, toothpaste, toothpaste may seem rather harmless, but it's, it's about much more than toothpaste, right? It's about much more than just... Uh, having white teeth. It's about being not good enough um, and, and feeling that we are inadequate and searching to fulfill that void, that emptiness, that lack, apart from Christ. Okay, apart from Christ. And that's the deception, um, right? Uh, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by this philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, and not according to Christ. And we'll see uh, more about that in a minute. Uh, so, so for the uh, Colossians, it's really important to see that what's really at the heart of all this is, is it's wrapped up in their identity. Our identity is how we see ourselves, how we see that our life has worth or value, uh, how we see ourselves as good enough or not good enough, complete or, or with holes, missing something, right? That's our identity. Um, uh, what we need to really be somebody. And we will never really be somebody until we find that, that missing something. Right? And that's, that's where the Galatians were, and it's a relevant message for us. What's missing? What's shaping our identity? And how is Satan getting a, a, a grip on our life because we have shaped or formed our identity on the wrong thing and in the wrong way? 
Uh, and, and Paul basically uh, says here, what you need, Galatians, uh, Galatians, I'm in the wrong book, Colossians, you Colossians, and all of you, what you really need is uh, a new identity. You need to create and form a new sense of who you are uh, based on uh, who you are in Christ. Uh, at our children's home uh, under FCF uh, Bonson Rock, we get a lot of kids who come with very broken and uh, abusive pasts. And uh, unfortunately for some of these kids, their story has been broadcast all over Thai news, right? So uh, they're kind of famous, but in a bad way. And so when these kids come, oftentimes one of the first things that we do is we give them a new name because we want to help them create a new identity uh, to put away the, their past and become somebody new. Uh, so what can we do to create a new identity, um, to become somebody who's not prone to be led astray by these temptations that something's wrong with us, that we're missing something? Uh, so let's look at this. First, again, let me just kind of, kind of go back and start with uh, Paul's command here. He says, don't be fooled, right? Don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. Don't be led astray, led captive by this thinking, right? See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to these elemental or basic principles, spirits or principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Um, and as I said, what was going on here in, in Colossians, is in Colossae, is that they, their identity was being attacked uh, and, and the philosophy was not so much like we think of like philosophy, studying knowledge, but it was, it, was, it was really more religious, and it was probably very Jewish. And they were being attacked, their identity was being attacked, that they were just Gentiles, right? And they, they weren't God's chosen people. And there actually was, in, in, in Bible times, a, a way that you could upgrade yourself from Gentile to be a Jew, uh, and there were three basic steps. And the first one was to be circumcised. So this was a pretty serious commitment, right, uh, if you're a guy. Um, this wasn't just like signing a piece of paper or getting, you know, baptized uh, rather painless. This was a painful thing, right? So it was a pretty big step. Circumcision. Second thing was a, a kind of ceremonial washing that to us would look a lot like baptism. Uh, and it meant to be kind of washed and cleansed with this special ceremonial cleansing and then ideally, if, you, if it was possible, possible, you would go to the, the temple and you would offer a sacrifice. You would offer a lamb or a bull uh, to, to get the kind of forgiveness that was only available to the Jews through, through uh, sacrifices at the temple. Right? Um, and so apparently what was, what was being communicated is, look, uh, you guys need this, right? Because you're Gentiles and it's not good enough. And so... Uh, they were being lured or being pressured into uh, going through this process of, of uh, becoming a Jew, a Jewish, right? Um, but the problem is Paul says that this is all apart from Christ, right? Uh, the deception is not pointing out what was wrong, right? Okay, the deception was not saying, well, you're Gentiles, you're not Jews, because, well, that was true. <laughs> they were Gentiles, right? He wasn't, uh, that was not the error or the deception, Right, uh, that was the truth. They were out. They were outside of God's covenant, old covenant. Right. Uh, of course, we know that we're under a new covenant, but that they were they were leaving that detail out. Um, 
And so the deception is not pointing out something is wrong. And I think it's very interesting that in our modern world, um, the message oftentimes that's being communicated is that, well, actually, there is nothing wrong with you. That's the problem, right? The problem is those Christians and all those religious people want to just make you feel bad by telling you that you're sinful and that you do bad things. But really, that's the problem, right? You just need to believe that you're okay. And that the real issue is those people's opinions, like those, those religious people. They just have all those opinions about right and wrong. But you know, you don't have to worry about that because if it's right for you, then it's right, right? There's no such thing as wrong. If you feel it's the right thing, then it's okay for you to do. And you shouldn't feel bad about it, right? But of course, um, that, that is a lie. Uh, to say that there's nothing wrong with you, that the only problem is other people's opinions. Uh, scripture does say that there is something terribly wrong with us, and that is sin, right? That we do evil things, things, things that violate God's law and God's covenant. And this is not because you're a Gentile or a Jew. It's true of all, all human beings, right? Every person is guilty of wickedness and rebellion against God. No matter how moral you may be on the outside, every person has a heart, the Bible says, that turns away from God and rejects his truth and his love. Right? Apart from Christ, we are, we are fallen. We are damaged. Uh, the, the image of God in us, in fact, is damaged beyond recognition. And the truth is, there is something missing apart from Christ. Okay? Our life, if we're honest, is a disaster apart from Christ. And probably most of us, if we, if we have come to Christ, we've come to Christ because we've realized uh, our life is not working, that there was something huge missing, and that we felt the weight and the crushing burden of our sin and our guilt. Uh, so the deception is not pointing out what's wrong. Okay, that wasn't the problem. The, the deception is that the solution can be found apart from Christ. But that's the problem. As they were offering answers that were separate and apart from Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. And the truth is, any solutions or answers or methods to upgrade yourself or give you a better self-image and identity that is not based in Jesus on the cross is empty and it's a lie. Okay? Anything. And of course, there's thousands of ideas and views out there how to upgrade yourself, how to improve yourself, how to fill in the blanks, that leave out Jesus, right? that leave out his cross. You just need to become a Jew, and that will fix the problem without Christ. But Paul says, no, that is an empty lie and a deception. Uh, there's no substance and no power to that kind of help. It won't fix the problem. And, and the problem, the reason these are, are, are all empty is because they fail to understand the real problem. Right? They fail to understand that the real issue is not your ethnic origin, your ethnic identity, your culture, your background, your education. It's not even that you have brown teeth. <laughs> right? It is sin. Right? The real issue, the real problem is that we were born with a sinful, fallen nature, we are under, and we are under the curse and judgment of sin. The Bible says that sin has caused us to be eternally separated from God, right? We are cut off from him. And that being cut off from God, the source of all life, means that we are dead. 
Right? We are walking dead people apart from the saving work of Christ. Our bodies might be living, but our soul and our spirit are separated from the source of life from God, and therefore we are spiritually dead. Um, and that, that is the problem, right? So um, the world will tell you, you just need to be more beautiful, you just need to be more popular, you just need to fulfill your greatest dreams, you just need to have enough... Uh, likes on your YouTube channel, that you are affirmed and loved and praised by people, that will make you somebody. See, those fail to address the real core problem, that the reason you're a nobody is not because your YouTube channel is a failure. Um, The reason you're a nobody is because of sin, because of sin. That is the problem, and it's fatal consequences of eternal death and separation from God. Um, so Paul says the, the problem, though, is that when we buy into these lies, it gives Satan, it gives evil forces in the world power over us, right? Uh, these become the things that chain us uh, to these lies. And we become a prisoner of war who was drug off away from Christ, away from the truth, away from life in him. And Satan himself ultimately gains control over us. Um, so that's serious stuff, Right? This is serious stuff. Um, so how do, we, uh, how do we combat this? How do we create a new identity? Uh, well, Paul uh, says some really profound things in verse 9 and 10. Uh, he says, uh, basically, um, he, he says, you are, you are a new person in Christ already, uh, and Christ has it all. Right? So this is how he says it in, in, in his, his own words. Verse 9, he says, For in him, that is in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Okay, there's my Christmas verse this morning, right? That, that's a great, concise, to-the-point description of, of what Christmas is. Right? Christmas is Jesus is the person in whom the whole fullness of God dwells in a body. Uh, when he was born to, uh, on that morning, Christmas morning, to Mary, uh, it, the incarnation took place. It means God poured his whole being, the whole fullness of his nature and character, into this tiny little person, uh, the baby Jesus. And he grew up to be a man, uh, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas, is this incredible miracle of uh, God, fully God, becoming fully man in the person of Christ, Right? And so that's great theology, that's great truth, that's a great Christmas message. But what does it have to do with our identity? Well, then he makes this amazing statement. He says, In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. You have been filled in him, who is the head and rule of all and head of, of all rule and authority. What does he mean? You have been filled. Well, the word here means, uh, I guess what it's, it's, it's nothing complicated, it just means to be filled up, right? Filled up. Um, to be made complete and whole. And the, the verb tense that's used here has the idea that it's a one-time event that happened and is completed, and now we remain in this full state, right? So like, uh, you know, I, I go to the gas station, I fill my car up with gasoline, it's full, then after I drive for a while, it gets empty again, Right? So we have to go fill it up again. It's something that has to be repeated often. Or like my bank account. At the beginning of the month, somebody fills it up. Money just appears in my bank. I love it. 
And usually by about the second week, it's all gone. <laughs> and i got two more weeks of the month left, right? <laughs> uh, with an empty bank account. Uh, but he says, no, this is not how our filling is for us. We are filled in Christ, and that filling continues. Like it never diminishes in the least, right? And this filling means, look, Jesus is God. The fullness and the nature of all, all it means to be God dwells in Jesus, and you are full in Christ. In other places, Paul says that we are partakers. Uh, we, we are those who have tasted and who are um, participants with the, the very divine nature. Right? Like this, this, this really is just beyond what my, my little small brain can fathom, right? When he says we are full, he says we have been made beings, creatures, who in Christ somehow have a portion of the very fullness of the deity of God. Now, of course, he's not saying here that we become gods. He's not saying, oh, like we're like Zeus or something. We can be like Thor and have our hammer. And, I mean, you know, uh, we're still human beings. But we are human beings who, who are filled with the character and nature uh, of God in Christ. Right? Are you a loser in Christ? No. Is something missing if you are in Christ? No. Right? The fullness of deity is available to you. There is nothing missing. There's nothing short. There's nothing lacking. You are whole and full and complete in Christ. That's amazing, right? It's amazing. Uh, you are filled and completed in Him. Now, and, and, and this happens through, uh, through the moment that we uh, receive Christ, the moment that His saving grace and work comes into our life, His regenerating work. We, our life is is put in with Christ. We become joined with Him in some crazy way. I don't, I can't explain. And so, uh, from that moment on. It is a finished thing. There's nothing more we can do to be more complete, more whole, more full, more human, more perfected. Right? It's a done deal. And that state continues on until we go to heaven and, and for all eternity. Right? But you would say, well, you know, that's all cool, but I sure don't feel that. Right? I don't feel very filled. Uh, I don't feel the divine nature flowing through me. I'll tell you, when I got up this morning and I did not get enough sleep and all the joints in my body were aching and I'm realizing how old I am, I was not feeling the divine nature flowing in and through me. I didn't feel very full. And not only that, but I I still mess up. I still say really stupid things. I still even send dumb emails. Like, you know, it takes, it doesn't take time to just let something fly out of your mouth, but it like takes effort to write an email and then hit send. And I still do that, right? And then I feel, I feel like, why do I do such stupid things, right? Uh, we feel inadequate. And, and sometimes I feel like I'm just failing. Uh, we, can, we can be filled with feelings of insecurity. That, you know, I think lots of things are missing. I think lots of things are wrong with me. I think I fall short in so many ways. We feel our weakness, right? Um, and... and and for many of us, we spend a great deal of time and effort and energy trying to prove that we're something we're not because we feel these inadequacies, right? And you just see it all around us. People striving, trying, 
working, laboring to upgrade their image, upgrade themselves, because they feel uh, so worthless. So they need to bolster their worth. Uh, they need to do things to give themselves uh, significance and meaning uh, to get affirmation from others, to improve their image. You know, I uh, uh, drive around, you know, and sometimes you see these fancy cars. And I just heard a story that somebody uh, from uh, another country, I won't mention, um, but a foreigner, bought 150 sports cars. I don't know if you saw this, but they found this garage down in Bangkok with 150, like, expensive sports cars, right? Um, I don't know what that was all about. But here's a guy definitely trying to upgrade his image, right? Like, look at me, right? I'm not driving a little Suzuki little thing, right? I've got fancy cars, right? Why do people care so much about their image, right? Because deep down inside, we feel like something's missing. So, so how do we line up what's true of us in Christ with the way we see ourselves? And see, that's the problem, isn't it, right? The, God has proclaimed in, in Scripture that this is who you are in Christ. But what we feel and how we see ourselves is so very separate, so far removed from that. And that's what gets us in trouble. Right? That's where Satan has power to pull us and say, hey, look, I've got what you are missing. And so we, we search for those things in ways apart from Christ. Well, Paul uh, in these next few verses, it says basically you need to change your identity. And the context of this is very much uh, the Colossians and, and their identity as Gentiles. Uh, but what he writes here actually fits well uh, for all of us because uh, he's saying essentially that you need to come to the place where you see yourself as God sees you, where you see yourself as the person God has made you and filled you in Christ. And so we need to change our identity or change the way we see ourselves. Uh, and first, the first thing we need is a new identification, a new identification. And, uh, and this is stated in verse 11 where he says, In him you were, uh, you, in him also you, and here you know, he's speaking to Gentiles. You could almost write in the word you Gentiles, uh, were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting up the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Okay, now this seems kind of awkward and weird, and it's a little embarrassing to talk about circumcision, but it apparently wasn't all that embarrassing for the Jewish people. Uh, and, and circumcision was like their badge of identity. And they were known all, all throughout the Roman Empire as the people who got circumcised, right? Uh, now, I don't know how they knew that. Like, did they wear T-shirts? I don't know how they made this public. But it was no, right? It was no. Like, they're the people of the circumcision. It was their mark. It was their identification. Is how they set themselves apart as unique and distinct. Now, I'm, I'm really old. Some of you are older. Uh, some of you are not. But uh, when you're a kid, you, you, you well, I, I anyway, discovered in about third grade that... Um, it, that, that you could identify yourself as, a, as somebody cool just by wearing the right clothes. Like it didn't really matter how nerdy you were inside or actually in reality. If you just had the right pair of pants, you could be cool. And when I was a kid, the right pair of pants were bell-bottoms. Have you ever heard of bell-bottoms? Okay, so you're old. If you know what those are, you're old, right? Bell-bottoms. And... Um, 
if you had bell bottoms, you were you had the mark of coolness, right? Of course, I did not have bell bottoms. I had straight leg jeans, and not only that, but I grew way too fast, and so my my, my straight leg jeans were always way too short. So instead of having cool bell bottoms, I had high waters, right? Instead of being cool, I was laughed at, right? Because I didn't have the right identifying mark, right? Well, that's really what circumcision was about for the Jews, right? It's like, we've got the identifying mark that makes us cool. See, we're in the covenant, right? We are God's special chosen people, and we know that because we have the right identifying mark. We have the right identification. And Paul says, hey, to, to his Gentile friends, he says, don't worry about this, okay? Because you also, Gentiles, you also were circumcised, but with a circumcision made without hands. Wow, right? And even in the Old Testament, uh, they knew that the outward circumcision of the flesh didn't really mean anything if you weren't circumcised of the heart. And so uh, throughout the Old Testament, the prophets and even Moses talked about the need to be circumcised in your heart, to have the mark and the identification of who you were as a chosen people in your very heart, not just in your skin, right? And he says, look, you Gentiles, you have a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. And what he's talking about here, and I don't want to go into all the reasons why, but what he's really talking about here is that Jesus put off his own flesh when he died on the cross. Right? The circumcision of Christ, he's talking about his death on the cross. Right? Where he was separated from his own flesh when he died for your sake and mine. Right? And so we share, we, we participate, we receive the benefit of this circumcision without hands through the death of Christ. Right? That is your identifying mark. Not that you've been circumcised in your body, but that you have received uh, the work of Jesus himself upon your very heart and soul and life. You have a new heart and a new life. That is who you are. And the mark is the work of Christ in your life. That is the identifying mark of who you are. Uh, But let's go a little, let's dig into this a little farther. He uses a different image, but kind of, digs in deeper into this idea in the next verse, in verse 12. Uh, He says, uh, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So now he switches metaphors or images or pictures from that of circumcision to that of baptism. And now he's looking at really the second step. Remember I said there's three steps to become a Jew. First was circumcision. The second was a ceremonial washing, kind of like baptism. And so he says, you have been buried with Christ in baptism, right? In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Um, In baptism, what is it that's really pictured? Right? When we think about baptism and what it portrays, what it illustrates and what it demonstrates, what is it really a picture of? Uh, When I'm... uh, Talking with people who want to be baptized, I always ask them, uh, what is baptism a picture of? What do you think? How do you see baptism? What does it represent? What is it a picture of? And uh, almost always, the first answer I get is that it's a picture of washing, right? It's a picture of taking a bath, right? And you get washed, you get cleaned, right? And this kind of makes sense because 
when, at least I, when I was a kid, I got dirty often, and I would go out and play. I was a boy, and I was in the dirt all the time, and I would come in uh, dirty, head to toe, and what would my mom say? You need to go take a bath, right? Go in the bathroom right now, and you take a bath, right? And so we pictured this, this immersion, this, this bath, as a, as a way to get clean. And certainly, uh, Jesus' death does that for us, right? It is a cleansing. It is a washing. But, but for Paul, uh, sin is not just a problem of being dirty, right? He sees sin as much more serious than that, right? Sin is not just something that kind of sticks to us on the outside and it makes our clothes uh, dirty and muddy and we, we need to be washed up a bit, right? No, for Paul, ultimately, and, and not that that's not a wrong image, that is a true image, it does soil us. In, in the Old Testament, they talked about it, it's uncleanness, right? But for Paul, uh, Sin was much more serious than that. And sin didn't just make you dirty. Sin makes you dead. Right? That's, that's the ultimate consequence of sin. It doesn't just contaminate you with dirt and filth. It kills you. Right? And so when, when Paul talks about baptism in the image of baptism, it's not so much a picture of being washed clean. It's a picture of being buried. But it's a picture of being buried. And that's why... When we baptize people, we don't sprinkle them like a shower. We, we immerse them. We dunk them. We put them under water because it is a picture of what? Of being buried. Right? I remember, and I like to share this story, I remember sharing Christ in a Sean camp with Taiyai uh, Sean refugees uh, with a friend of mine who was Sean, and we were talking about Christ and sharing the gospel, and um, they said, you know, we're really interested, but we're really worried about baptism. We were asking, well, why? Why? What's, what's, what's so frightening about baptism? And they said, well, we heard that to, when you get baptized, they put you under water and they hold you under there till you see Jesus. <laughs> okay, that, that, that would be a little concerning, right? Uh, like, did you see Jesus? Nope. Okay, back down again. Um, a little misunderstanding of what baptism is, right? Uh, but but it, it is this picture of being buried. Right, being buried, and he says, "You, uh, you have been uh, buried with Christ in baptism." Okay, and, and it's not that the act of baptism is is what buries you with Christ. It's just the baptism pictures what happens when you are saved. Right, you are buried with Christ, which means what? Well, it means that because of sin, you are already dead. You didn't have to die with Christ. Although Paul also talks about dying with Christ, um, uh, we were already spiritually dead, and that old man, that old person, is somehow crucified with Christ and is buried with Christ. But the good news is, is not only are we buried with Christ, but we are also raised up with Christ. Now, we don't know if Paul really had this image, of, if in the New Testament times they had this picture of coming up out of the water as coming up to new li- into new life. But it's true that, um, that we are... Uh, living in resurrection power, right? So when Jesus died on the cross, uh, he took our old self upon himself and he died in our place as our substitute. He fully died. He was buried. And and God raised him to new life by God's amazing power to overcome sin and death. And we are connected with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. And he says that this all happens for us by faith, when we believe in the powerful working of God that raised Jesus from the dead. 
So this is where it starts getting into our identity. These are truths. These are things that Jesus did for us. He says it becomes applied and effective in understanding who we are when we believe these things to be true. Right? Through faith in, in this powerful working of God that raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, now, how does all this work? Uh, I don't actually know. Okay? Um, I don't really know. And it's really hard to even explain. But let me, let me try uh, with some very poor and uh, ineffective examples. Uh, but it, it may get us a little closer. Right? What does it mean that we died with Christ, that we were raised with him, and that we ultimately live with him? Um, I think it means that, that through the experience of our deep connection with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, that, that we so identify with him in these things, in his death and resurrection, that we experience the change that has been wrought in us by the work of Christ. Okay, I'm sure that's clear as mud. You're all like, yeah, I still have no idea what he's just talking about. Okay, well, let me let me try this example. I think the closest thing that uh, that I can come to to ex- explain how we participate with Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection is in the, the idea of of, of, of the word uh, vicarious or living vicariously. It's a really complicated English word. I'm, I'm sorry to those of you who are not native English speakers, but I don't. there's no synonym for this word, vicariously. It means to really experience something that somebody else is doing by either watching them or reading about it, what they've done. And we, we so identify, we so participate with them, even though we didn't do it, we feel like we did it. Okay, so for example, well, here's the definition. The dictionary definition of living vicariously is something experienced as a result of watching or listening to or reading about the activities of someone else, of other people, rather than, than by doing the activities yourself. Right, so there's a sense in which we can participate with somebody uh, by just watching them do it. And this is really how uh, the power of sports, right? World Cups, World Cup soccer is going on. Is, it, is this, this is how much of a fan I am? Is it done yet? Okay, I didn't think so. Uh, I just got, I just lost everybody right there. What? Uh, sorry. Um, but the reason we like watching it is because, because why? Because we identify, we, we in a sense participate with our team, right? Especially if we have a team that we're really rooting for. It's like our team. It's our team, right? I feel like it's my team. Like I'm part owner, right? And like I'm on the team, really, right? And maybe we even wear the jersey. But we're watching it from thousands of miles away. We're not actually on the team, right? We're not actually, we're not actually one of them. We don't own it. We're not a player. But we can, we can get so into the game and so into what's going on and so participating with what's going on that it's almost like we're, we're part of the team, right? And you know, you know you're living vicariously. You know this is happening for you by how you feel if they either win or lose, right? Like if they lose and you're depressed for a week, you don't eat, you, you don't go to work, right? Like you're crying, right? Why are you crying? Why are you so sad, right? You're depressed. Why? Well, because you lost, right? That's the problem of living vicariously. When they lose, you lose, right? You, you experience that loss just like they did. But of course we don't we don't watch it because we hope they lose, right? We watch because we hope they win, and and the opposite is true when they win, isn't it? When they win, I win, right? 
And we feel that. We experience that victory with them. And there's a lot of senses in which our emotions, our experience of that is, is at the same level of theirs. The only difference is they get a lot of money for winning and we don't, right? But the feeling is the same, right? We, we participate with them. We join with them and we experience what they experience, right? And the same could be true for reading a book. Maybe you're not into sports, but maybe you read a book and you really get into this novel. And you so identify with the main character of the story. And that's what makes reading books fun, right? You identify. It's like you, you come into the story and you experience what's happening to them as if, it's experience, as if it's happening to you. You are experiencing it vicariously, right? You are so participating with what's going on in the story. You're so connected to it that it's like it's happening to you. And that's what makes it fun. That's what, that's what makes it have an impact on us, right? If we can't identify with the characters and if we can't relate to what's going on, we'll probably think this is a boring book and we won't read it, right? It's that ability to, uh, to participate at a distance that makes it powerful, right? Well, uh, what Paul's talking about here is really much the same, right? Our identity will be reshaped and reformed into uh, what it is in Christ when we so participate with his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection that we vicariously experience it as our own. That it becomes as if it was us. And what really gives us power power is, um, and it's hard to do this, right? It's hard for us to to do that. And and for most of us, you know, it's easier to identify with uh, a football star than uh, with Jesus, right? But but I think, let's, let's take this kind of example one step further. Um, really what makes the power of the cross work, what makes Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection most powerful is not so much that we vicariously participate with Jesus, but it's this, that, that Jesus came to earth and he took on a real physical body, right? He didn't just watch us and, and participate vicariously with us as human beings. No, he actually came and took on a real human body. He actually became one of us. Uh, and, and he went to the cross with a real physical body, and he experienced the real pain of beatings and of whips. He experienced the real mockery of those who, who ridiculed and belittled him, and the, and the shame and humiliation of the cross. Uh, he really experienced in very physical and painful ways the nails being driven into his hands and his feet and being hung up there to die, right? But, but beyond that, uh, as Jesus was suffering all of this, he was vicariously participating with you in your sin and your death and your failures. Right? He was identifying with your brokenness and your fallenness. Because he was not dying for his own sin. Right? But it says that he who knew no sin became sin. He so vicariously identified with us that he became our sin. He became our guilt. He became our death. Now the truth is that when we, uh, when we watch somebody vicariously, um, one of the things that's kind of weird about it is that it's so far away from our own life experience. Like it's fun to watch football, but the fact is 
um, if I were to go out on the soccer field and play soccer or play any other sport, uh, it would be so pathetic that, like, it wouldn't even look like soccer, right? Right? And I, I'm not a soccer player. It's not who I really am, right? It's, it's, it's only something I, I do for entertainment, right? And so uh, there's limits to what it means to live vicariously, huge limits. But imagine this. Imagine that, uh, that you were convicted of a crime and you were in a country where the penalty for that crime was a death sentence. And at the last minute, as they're about to carry you off, somebody steps up, your best friend steps up and says, hey, I want to take his place. And before you even know what's happened, they've let you free and they've taken your friend and they've hauled him off. And all of a sudden you watch him going to be executed. And you watch your friend being beaten and, and strung up and however he's killed, hung or whatever. And you realize you are watching your own death, really. But somebody else has taken your place. That would take living vicariously to another level, wouldn't it? That is exactly what Jesus did for us, right? He took our place. And when we watch his death on the cross, when we watch him suffer, when we watch the wrath of God poured out on him, we have to know that is me. Right? That is my life that has been substituted by Jesus, right? And, and, and Paul says that it's vital for us to identify with Christ and his death, his burial, and his resurrection to that extent. That is who we are, right? Yes, we are a sinner, but we are a sinner for whom the penalty has been paid fully in Christ. And we have been buried with him, but praise God, we have also been resurrected with him, Right? If it was up to us, the end of the story would have ended with burial. But because it was Jesus, and because it is the power of God that saw his righteous and holy sacrifice and raised him from dead, right? we can also identify with him in his resurrection. And that also is now our life. Right? You are filled in Christ. You are resurrected in Christ. You have his perfect, holy, divine life in Him. And we just need to see ourselves with that light. He gives two more images. Let me give these real quick uh, because we're out of time. Verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, again, he's talking to Gentiles. He's describing them as Gentiles. You Gentiles who are outside of the covenant, who were not marked by the sign of the covenant of circumcision, and you were dead in your trespasses, you were dead in your sin, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He switches pictures again, now from burial and death and uh, new life and resurrection. Now it's, uh, it's a debt, right? And he says... Uh, there is a bill. You owe a bill. And the bill comes in the mail and it says you owe tens of billions of billions of dollars. A bot, whatever currency you want to use. You owe a ton. And you're holding that bill and you're going, there's no way in my life 
And there's no way in the world I could pay this debt. Right? You're in trouble. Not only is something missing, like everything is missing. Right? Not only is something wrong, everything is wrong. Uh, and what you need is you need a clean slate. You need to have that debt erased. And it says that when Jesus died on the cross, his sacrifice has erased, uh, canceled, or the word canceled really means to erase the record of debt that stood against us. It was like you took the bill into the bank and you showed him what you owe, and the bank uh, president took, took, and he took a, a white out and he whited it out, and he said he put a zero. You owe nothing, right? It's been paid in full, it's been eliminated. Uh, that will upgrade your identity <laughs> to know that there's nothing wrong with you in Christ. Right? Every debt, every sin has been canceled completely through the blood of Jesus. Right? It has been nailed to the cross with him. Um, and we have a clean slate. And the cool thing about this clean slate is it's... Uh, it's, it's always clean, right? You sin, and it, it washes off, right? Because it's all covered, past, present, and future, covered by the blood of Christ. Lastly, the uh, best part of our identity is we're on the winning team. <laughs> we're on the winning team. Uh, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, oh, triumphing I can't say that word, by beating them, <laughs> by beating, by winning by victory, right? We are no longer on the losing team, right? Jesus conquered them on the cross. And this is amazing. Uh, they thought they had defeated him on the cross. But Jesus turned everything upside down on the cross and showed that what, what they thought was victory was actually their defeat. And uh, C.S. Lewis pictures this brilliantly in The Land, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you remember, Edmund had messed up. Edmund had betrayed Aslan Edmund had sold out to the White Witch, uh, to Jadis the White Witch, and uh, Jadis knew it. And, and Aslan comes, and, and, uh, and uh, the White Witch comes and meets, meets Aslan. And uh, the White Witch says, you have to give me Edmund. He belongs to me because he messed up. He sinned. And he belongs to me, and you have no claim on him, Aslan. And so if you remember... They go into the tent and they have this discussion and uh, Aslan gives his life in exchange for Edmund. And from that point on, the White Witch has no claim on Edmund. Right? Well, same thing is true. When Jesus died on the cross, uh, Satan thought he had uh, captured us and defeated Jesus. But he didn't realize that what he really did was, was set us free. Right? Because now... Because our sins have been washed away and there is no debt, all the powers of darkness and hell have no claim on us. Right? They can tell us all day long what a mess up we are. They can tell us all day long how we're missing and how short we fall. But it's a lie. It's empty words. Because we have victory in Christ. Right? He has overcome every enemy and every power and every rule. Um, how do you see yourself? Short answer, short point here. Paul is saying you need to see yourself in Christ. 
and the finished, completed work of Christ, who you are through what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. (coughs) Lord Jesus, we uh, thank you so much uh, for these amazing pictures and images of, of what you did on the cross, what you accomplished as our substitute who took our place. And Lord, the truth is we, we know and we come honestly and humbly before you admitting that we are messed up. We are fatally flawed. We are without hope uh, apart from Christ. But you did not leave us in that place. You have made full provision that we might be filled completely, that we might be whole and perfect and complete but not through any other means than by the work of Christ, who is everything, who is all that we need. Lord, help us to have faith. Help us, Lord, to know how we can more closely identify with uh, what Jesus did on the cross, to participate in his death and burial and resurrection through faith and the mighty working of God that, that brought Jesus back to life. And that we would have faith that that same mighty working power that brought Jesus to life is at work in us, making us whole and complete people, uh, full of joy and life and love and all goodness in Christ. Lord, may we live uh, out this identity so that we will never be taken captive by Satan's lies again. Lord, help us, we pray, and we just thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.